You're listening to Live Wild Radio, the part-time adventure podcast. Join us as we explore how outdoor adventures build mind, body, and spirit. You are listening to Live Wild Radio. Uh, this is a solo episode. We've never had one of these before, but Catherine's off visiting her mom, and we've asked you guys to send us questions about fitnessy things, and because I am the coach, uh, we figured it was fine for me to answer them because I do most of the talking on a question and answer about fitness um, episode anyway. Um, I think Catherine's quite happy just to let me natter on. Um, we won't make a, uh, a regular thing of these, but um, unless you guys like them, and then I'll, I'll keep answering your questions. Um, so today's episode is brought to you uh, by Great Lakes Geria. There are pals we get um, all of our fitness equipment from. So uh, whether you need kettlebells, barbells, dumbbells, um, our favorite pull-up bar, uh, they've got gymnastics rings, clubs, maces. Um, they're basically a big steel handle with a shot put welded on the end and different weights. Um, you want to feel like a damn barbarian, go out in the backyard and swing one of those around and you will get um, strong or you will get bruises if you don't know how to do it properly. Um, yeah, but Great Lakes Geria makes great stuff. Prices are awesome. They have regular sales. And for our listeners, uh, if you go to Great Lakes Geria, G-I-R-Y-A, uh, which is Russian for kettlebell.com, and uh, use promo code LIVEWILD at checkout, that's one word, uh, you'll get 5% off. And uh, a little bit comes and helps us. So, yeah. And you guys, I just want to thank everybody too because people have been using the promo code um, when they've been making their purchases. And all of that helps because uh, putting on a podcast isn't free. You know, so it's not like we're going to get rich off it, but it helps offset some of the costs, um, which we're always happy about. Now, today's episode is, like I said, it is submitted questions people have about fitness. Um, so I will try to not be too long-winded in my answers, but uh, some of the things we might get a little bit specific on. Um, most of them... Uh, I haven't read yet. <laughs> uh, we'll see how well this works. Maybe I should read them ahead of time. Um, but we just sort of compiled some questions, and I'm going to answer them. So, first one, uh, Paul uh, sends us a question. Uh, he asks, uh, I've only got 30 minutes during the week, 30 minutes um, three times during weekdays, um, plus I've got a little bit of free time on the weekends. How do I best train for hiking and backpacking. Um, if during the week, like the work week, you've only got three 30-minute sessions, and that's actually pretty common for a lot of people because if you got a job and you got kids and you got the grown-up responsibilities, but you still want to be in half-decent shape for when you have time to get on hikes on the weekend, um, first, your weekend hikes are part of your training. Um, uh, you get in during the week what you can, um, uh, and I'll get into the specifics of what that is, and then the weekends are when you get to do your longer training. Um, so whether you get out for an hour, two hours, three hours, um, think of uh, 
you know, basically the weekend is when you get to do your long sessions. So your activity that you want to be doing is also part of your training program, um, first off. Uh, so when you're thinking about that, um, think about as time allows to gradually make your weekend hikes longer um, so that you're building some capacity there. And then during the week, um, I would do a combination um, of strength training movements, um, but done, and people have heard me talk about this before, but if we want to be as efficient with our time as possible, uh, your five primary movement patterns, so I would do full body workouts three days a week, um, and the numbers actually work out very well. Um, so if you've got the five prime movements, which are a pushing movement, a pulling movement, that's upper body, um, a squat, a hip hinge, like something like a deadlift or a kettlebell swing, and some form of loaded carry, then you run into the thing of um, if you're going to do a 30-minute workout, uh, take five movements divided by 30, um, that means you can do each movement for six minutes. Um, now, obviously, we're not going to do each movement for six minutes unbroken. But uh, to give you an idea, a workout I just did yesterday, um, I set my timer for 30 minutes. And uh, I just rotated through five exercises. So that ended up being six sets of each exercise. So uh, I did a set of 10 kettlebell swings, which is my hip hinge. Then I immediately, not immediately, but so that takes about 20 seconds. Then the rest of the minute uh, was my recovery. Then uh, minute two, when the timer beeped, I dropped down and did uh, 15 push-ups. And that takes, you know, about 30 seconds. Um, maybe 35, something like that. Um, then... Uh, minute three, I did 10 goblet squats, um, which takes about 30 seconds, give or take. Um, and then I did uh, minute four was a set of five pull-ups. Um, and then set six, or set five, yes, five. <laughs> we got five movements. Um I just did 30 seconds of farmer's carries, like 30 saps roughly. Um, so I just picked up a kettlebell in each hand and walked. So if you're doing this at a commercial gym, um, then maybe what you want to do is uh, instead of six sets of each exercise, do five sets of each, but do all of the same exercise back to back. If you do five sets, then you have one minute to switch stations in between, um, if that makes any sense. So you do... Um, minute one to five would be doing kettlebell swings for five sets. And then uh, basically minute six, uh, you know, between the end of five and six, you switch stations, which can be just dropping down to do push-ups. You do your push-ups. Um, so it just depends on the gym. Like if it's busy when you go, um, having five stations set up sometimes is... Uh, 
uh, frowned upon. <laughs> so you might move from movement to movement. Um, if you do movements that uh, you just need dumbbells for, um, you can uh, be pretty effective that way um, by, you know, just going to quickly switch and grab a different pair. Um, so maybe you do, instead of a kettlebell swing, you do a Romanian deadlift with dumbbells. Um, you do a goblet squat with a dumbbell. You do dumbbell overhead press, um, dumbbell bent over rows, and um, a farmer's carry. Uh, that's another simple way to do it. Um, so that every minute you're getting a set in. So in 30 minutes, you did 30 sets. You did your whole body. Um, and because you're not having long rests in between, you're going to um, end up getting a cardiovascular benefit out of it as well. So this isn't the best way to build muscle. It's not the best way um, to build cardiovascular fitness. It's not the best way to build strength. But it is one of the best ways to improve all of those things at once um, in a limited time window. Um, so that's one of the things I love with these workouts, um, because, you know, if you were a power lifter, it's not the way to train. Um, if you're a marathon runner, um, it's not the way to train, but the, some of these things you can't do on just 30 minutes, three times a week, plus whatever you get in on the weekend. Um, so that's just the reality of it, but you can make some really nice fitness gains, um, and strength gains, um, training this way. Uh, and, you know, we, like I said, we're a big fan of having a home gym because the great thing is if you have a home gym, you cut down on the travel time. So you're not having to go to the gym. You're not having to get changed. You're not having to change afterwards and drive home because a half hour workout at the gym really is going to take a minimum of an hour or longer when you factor all of those things in. Um, whereas literally we can walk out to the dining room, which is now our gym, um, in your underpants in the morning. <laughs> um, and as long as you cut the front window or the drapes closed, um, and sometimes I don't even give a shit, uh, you can just get your workout in and, you know, literally a half hour workout, um, takes 40 minutes, including my warm up. Um, when I, when I pushed for time, um, you know, so that, that's one of the things that I really enjoy with, uh, a basically, we're not going to call it minimalist because the whole body gets hit and all the systems are trained. But if you get a full body workout three times a week, like a non-consecutive days, ideally like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then get out for some hikes on the weekend, um, particularly um, if one of your hikes on the weekend, um, if you're able to do both days, but even if just one, you start adding some weight to your pack beyond what you'd normally bring just for your gear that you'd bring on a hike, um, and gradually increase both the duration of your hikes, like how far you go, and add a little bit of weight that ends up being a great way combined with what you do during the week to build fitness um, that when you say do go on that summer backpacking trip for a week um, or even a long weekend, you've got the capacity 
even though you don't have a lot of time to train. The other thing um, that I can't state enough is as much as you can, like if you work an office job, um, then try to get as much walking in during your day as possible. Um, take the stairs when you can. When you go for lunch, walk, if you can walk to grab something rather than, um, uh, you know, take the elevator or drive. Anytime you can get some extra movement in. Um, that I can't speak highly enough. Um, particularly, say something like, Every time you eat, like if you eat three meals a day, um, try to get a 10-minute walk after each meal. Um, it's not a lot, but there's a number of health benefits that come from it, and that adds up, right? Because we need to climatize our body to moving um, and being on our feet. Uh, I work, you know, in, in an outdoor store where I'm on my feet all day, so uh, I run into the thing where if I'm going... Um, you know, on a backpacking trip combined with whatever I do for training and all that kind of stuff, just the acclimatization to be on your feet all day, I've got already just because I'm on my feet every day anyway. Um, but if you work in an office, just being on your feet all day, like you will on a backpacking trip, can actually uh, just be a new stimulus <laughs> that you're not used to. So um, in addition to whatever you do for, for actual quote-unquote workouts... Um, try to get in as much walking as you possibly can, even if it's broken up into little bits, right? Your body will thank you for that. So yeah, thanks for that question. Uh, then, um, Jack wants to know, uh, about supplements. Um, do they work? Specifically, he's asking about creatine and protein powder. So, before I get into the specifics of that, big picture on supplements, um, if, and I've sort of used this one before, but, you know, it, it's such a great little bit that I came up with that, that I'm going to use it again. I don't care. Um, so if you go to the average, you know, bodybuilding slash supplement slash health food store um, and you were to only stock it with what had scientific evidence behind it. Um, like, and when I say scientific evidence, we're talking solid, peer-reviewed, um, uh, statistically significant effect, uh, repeatable, measurable, all of the different things. Not like there was one rat study um, you know, in 1972 that showed, you know, this tiny effect in Petri dishes. So we're building a whole supplement behind that um, as if it's scientifically, you know, proven kind of idea. If we were to only put products that stood up to that rigor of being worth it because it did something beneficial, it would fit in a phone booth. <laughs> like that's how small, you know, it'd be like a kiosk store. Um, most things that are sold, um, as health boosters, performance boosters, um, that are going to get you lean, that are going to get you, uh, you know, jacked, bigger muscles, all that kind of stuff, um, are mostly snake oil, um, you know, because the, the issue you run into 
is if things lived up to their marketing, um, then everybody would be big and jacked and lean and, uh, you know, they would look like they take steroids because that's the way a lot of this stuff is marketed. Um, the reality is, um, you know, whether it's um, pre-workout drinks, uh, they might get you jacked up for a workout. Um, and if that's the only way that you can work out, maybe you should focus on getting better night's sleep, those types of things. Um, but most of the, the health supplements out there, uh, you know, or performance supplements, all this kind of stuff, um, are the effect is at best negligible um, and generally not worth the money. <laughs> um, you know, for just general health, a few things that have some good um, efficacy behind them and they're relatively inexpensive, getting adequate vitamin D, something like four or 5,000 IUs a day, um, vitamin D is stupid cheap, and especially in the Northern Hemisphere where we have winter, at least half the year you don't get enough sunshine. Um, and sunshine's how your body makes vitamin D. Vitamin D is involved in a ton of chemical processes within the body. So inadequate levels of vitamin D also translate into inadequate levels of, uh, you know, various hormones in the body. Like low vitamin D tends to be, um, lead to lower testosterone levels in people. Um, uh, low levels of vitamin D tend to uh, also... Uh, have negative correlations as far as COVID outcomes. Um, that was one of the ones that they found. Um, so by getting, uh, you know, some vitamin D in, it's cheap um, and beneficial. Uh, magnesium is another one. Um, the, m I guess majority, because 58% of uh, people in North America was one of the studies that I'd read, um, are deficient in magnesium. And again, magnesium is one of those low-hanging fruit things because it's cheap, um, and it's involved in a bunch of different chemical processes in the body. So inadequate levels will lead to, obviously, things like muscle cramps, you don't sleep as well, um, it's involved in the manufacturing of the DNA repair enzyme, which, you know, if you want to live longer and feel better, that's kind of important. Um, uh, inadequate levels of magnesium are also linked to lower testosterone, you know. So there's a bunch of things that it will improve if you were deficient. Um, you know, uh, basically getting either a mixed source or uh, where it's multiple types like... Uh, or uh, the biglycinate version, um, from everything I've read, is one of the most absorbable. But like, if you get a mix that's got some magnesium oxide, but the, that's the least absorbable version, but it's the cheapest, um, then magnesium citrate, magnesium biglycinate. Uh, if you get a mix that's got sort of all of them in it, that's not a bad thing. Um, uh, but again, magnesium... Um, then fish oil, um, three to five grams a day, uh, live with the fish burps, but good for your heart, good for your joints, anti-inflammatory, again, relatively cheap. Um, 
those are the three I always call kind of the low-hanging fruit. Um, uh, if somebody wants to live longer um, and healthier, um, especially, uh, you know, if you're trying to lose weight, um, uh, look up the information on the uh, extract berberine. Um, it's has good um, uh, evidence behind uh, moderating blood sugar, um, having cardioprotective uh, benefits, um, moderating insulin levels. Um, but that's, you know, with any of these, I'll always put the caveat out there. Talk to your doctor. Um, if you can, go get um, nutritional, uh, like a blood panel workup, so you actually see what you're actually deficient in. Um, because any of these nutrients, like magnesium or vitamin D, um, they're kind of easy ones because the majority of people are deficient in them. Um, but that doesn't mean you want to like take mega doses. Uh, and one of the things you'll run into is by getting tested, then you're not guessing. You actually see what you're actually low in. Maybe you're low in some B vitamins, B12, whatever it happens to be. Um, you know, so it, it's useful to know what you're deficient in. Um, uh, and for women... Um, because of their menstrual cycle, uh, it's not unusual to be low in iron, so that's a smart one to get checked. Um, and then taking some high-quality iron supplements. Again, iron can be toxic if you have too much. So go to your doctor, get tested, um, and then you know uh, something like 25 milligrams a day uh, generally would be a, a pretty safe bet for most women um, without being too high um but that's from a supplement standpoint um before i get back to jack's question um that's kind of the low-hanging fruit of just general health um and so now to the specific question about creatine and protein powder um uh you know specifically like do they help build muscles like do they help with performance um, so we'll take creatine first. Um, so creatine monohydrate uh, is actually one of the most studied performance enhancing supplements out there. Um, a lot of positives that come out of it. Uh, generally, you will see an increase in strength, um, an increase in um, lean body mass, um, uh, a general performance increase in short duration high output so sprinting jumping um, weightlifting hence the strength increase um, and it turns out to have things like some neuroprotective uh, benefits um, so quite a bit of science on it um, it's not really beneficial to endurance athletes um, as much as we'd like it to be uh, but if your goal is to perform better in the gym as far as strength goes, um, you know, to lift a little bit more weight, build a little bit of muscle, um, then creatine can be of benefit to you. Um, and the way it works um, is by uh, taking five grams a day, and the 
doesn't have to be any specific timing or anything like that because it's about saturating the tissue. Um, so it's just consistently taking five grams. If you do a protein shake, dump it in that dry scoop it and wash it down. It doesn't taste really much like anything. Um, so five grams a day, uh, which one little scoop, uh, you'll run into the thing where, um, over seven to 14 days, um, it will start to build up in your system and, uh, increase the stores of creatine phosphate in the muscles. Um, and generally what it'll translate into is you got like an extra rep or two. So instead of like a weight that you could do 10, you might have enough, you know, juice in the muscles, the actual, um, uh, you know, specific energy to get an extra rep or two. Um, and because you've got a little bit higher levels of creatine flowing around your system, um, I find that uh, your recovery for your next set, um, as far as uh, the muscles go to being able to contract hard again, um, is fractionally quicker. Um, so your workouts end up being a little bit better quality. Um, you know, and if your workouts over time, um, are slightly better quality, like maybe, you know, two or 5%, two to 5% better. Um, you just able to get a couple more reps. Um, you know, you're able to do better on your subsequent sets. You're more likely to create a stimulus that in, you know, a month, two months, six months adds up to a sizable difference. Um, uh, so number one, uh, the safety tends to be pretty good. Um, there doesn't appear to be a, um, you know, when they, when they test creatine, um, in studies, uh, it appears to be quite safe. Um, uh, people don't tend to have a lot of, uh, adverse reactions other than some people tend to get a little bit, um, it's a little hard on their stomach or they can get gassy um, or some people, and this is varies individual to individual. Um, some people find that they get diarrhea. Um, so if you're one of those, you know, obviously taking it with food can help, um, you know, but generally um, it, it's very well tolerated. Um, so if your goals are to get a little stronger, you know, um, uh, be a little faster, a little more explosive, you know, anything that short bursts, um, then adding creatine as a supplement, um, uh, won't hurt. And it definitely, um, the evidence points to it, it being of benefit. Um, and then using it long-term, like I said, uh, the neuroprotective and cognitive enhancing abilities, um, you know, it's something that they're researching, but it, but it's very interesting. Um, if something can keep your brain working better longer, um, kind of an interesting little longevity thing. Um, one of the downfalls, though, is uh, it does increase um, intramuscular water retention, um, which is part of that lean mass um, that you put on. Um, and so if you're trying to get bigger, that's great. But if you're doing anything weight class oriented, 
Um, the problem, of course, can be now you're heavier. Um, and, of course, it makes you a little stronger. But say for somebody like a rock climber, um, I haven't seen enough evidence sort of looking at that specifically on whether it will, the strength increase um, will more than offset the um, few extra pounds of water weight you'll hold uh, within the muscles. Um, so that's sort of something that needs more future uh, future research, right? Because anything that's a gain in one area but a decrease in the other, um, it'll take a bit of study to figure out whether that's a net gain or not. Um, you know, obviously, if you're a football player, a hockey player, um, anything explosive and hard, um, where if you're a little bigger, it's not a not a drawback. Um, then those are kind of easy. But for things like mountain biking, uh, which is obviously an endurance sport, um, there isn't a huge benefit. Backpacking, same idea, although it'll benefit you in the gym from a strength standpoint. And then for rock climbing, where your power to weight ratio is really important, um, that's where it probably is a net, either net neutral or maybe a slight net negative, um, uh, you know, because it, it, it's one of those things where it will increase your strength, but, you know, uh, whether it's enough to offset that weight gain, um, it's hard to say. Uh, and the other thing Jack was asking about was protein powder. And protein powder is just food. <laughs> um, one of the things, if your goal is to either maintain or build some muscle mass, um, the uh, evidence would suggest, um, do you like the way that I sort of hedge myself there because that's sort of science. Um, it's not like this is the concrete way to do it. It's like we're just looking at the evidence. Um, getting in uh, 0.8 to 1.2 grams of protein per pound of body weight. Um, so I like to just make things simple. So I just round it to one. <laughs> um, one gram of protein per pound of body weight um, can be a giant pain in the ass because if you think of the uh, just from an eating standpoint, uh, you get sick of eating chicken and eggs and steak and yogurt and, you know, um, cottage cheese and basically the different things that have a lot of protein in them. So uh, protein powder, well, isn't going to magically build you muscle. Um, it can be a convenient way to get your protein intake up. Um, without making you hate eating. Um, so I would always recommend uh, for anybody who has a hard time getting enough protein in, um, then um, after workouts, drinking a uh, protein shake with a high-quality whey protein isolate, um, unless somebody's got like a lactose uh, problem, um, or a lactose intolerance, even though like an isolate, most of the lactose is out of it. It can still cause sort of some gastrointestinal issues for those who are sensitive. Um, but having a uh, um, quickly like a whey protein, a whey protein isolate or hydrosylate um, uh, are 
or hydrolyzed. Yes. Um, they're very quickly absorbed. So after working out, when you've broken your muscles down, having a protein that your body can absorb quickly um, can certainly, uh, you know, assist with the recovery side of it. Um, and it can make an easy way, like, you know, without having to um, starve yourself of other nutrients just to get enough protein in, you know. Because to give you an idea, like, uh, if you're 180 pounds, so you want to get 180 grams of protein in, um, the average, you know, protein powder is, we'll call it like 30 grams per scoop. Uh, well, that's the equivalent of five eggs. Um, five eggs are 600 calories, like five large eggs. Um, whereas one scoop, you know, of protein powder, uh, because it's just pure protein, um, is very low in carbohydrates and fat and may, uh, only be, 150 calories for the same amount of protein as five eggs. Um, so a, if part of your goal is to, to lose body fat, you need to be in a caloric deficit. So having adequate, uh, or a lower calorie protein source, um, uh, can be less expensive than just buying more chicken breasts, um, you know, or, or lean ground beef or any of that type of thing. Um, plus, obviously, you don't have to prepare it. You just dump it in a cup with water or a mug, a shaker cup, um, shake it up, drink it down. Um, so it's an easy way to get some protein in. But there, like I said, there's nothing magical about, you know, protein powder versus chicken breast versus anything else. So, um, you know, useful if your goal is to lose body fat in addition to building muscle because, um, it's a way to get enough protein in without, uh, extra, um, fat and carbohydrate calories. Um, and, uh, you know, for people who don't want to be just constantly eating, um, it is a easy way just to add some protein to your diet. Plus it, you know, because a lot of the flavors are actually quite tasty. Um, when you're, you know, goal is fat loss, um, it can be a way to, um, because protein's filling and, uh, and it, uh, you know, a uh, scoop of protein, shake it up and drink it down, kind of all, you know, shake-like, um, can be the thing that keeps you from snacking because, you you know, you're feeling full. Um, so, yeah, that's... Uh, a long-winded way of answering Jack's question about supplements. Um, you know, if anybody's got questions about specific supplements, um, send those in. You know, um, if you go to our website, livewildradio.com, you can um, contact us. Uh, you know, we've got it on the main page, and we got I think we got a contact us button. Um, so you can reach out to us that way. Um, send us a message on Instagram at Live Wild Radio uh, or on Facebook at Live Wild Radio. Um, we're always happy to uh, have people interact and, and you know, um, and if you like what we're doing, let us know. If you think we're full of shit, let us know that too. Although don't be too mean because um, I, I have thick skin, but it probably hurt Catherine's feelings. Um, so just say mean things about me. Um, yeah, so 
next question um, is from Mark, and Mark wants to be uh, a we'll call him a modern Renaissance man. Um, Mark's a rock climber who also wants to train for a marathon. Um, so uh, his question is. I want to do two things that seem to be at odds with each other. Um, I want to get better at rock climbing, um, which I really love. And I want to challenge myself by running a marathon next year. Um, And by next year, I'm not sure whether he means this year because the question came in last year. Uh, Either way. Um, can you give me some pointers on how to put together uh, my training so I can get better at both, um, even though it seems to be um, disparate goals? Um, uh, he didn't say disparate, but I did. Um, so a couple of different things. Number one, understand that you're not going to be able to be your best at either thing. Um Working on both at the same time. Um, you can get better at both of them. and um, But uh, in training, there there is um, the law of specificity. So uh, to make it the super dumb version is you get better at what you do a lot. <laughs> um, the more specific is, um, you know, you have specific adaptations to impose demands. If you want to get good at a long duration aerobic activity, there's got to be a fair amount of long duration aerobic training. If you want to get good at an activity that requires um, short to medium uh, bursts, particularly of upper body strength, um, because Mark doesn't specify what type of climbing he does, whether it's uh, bouldering, which is super short and explosive, um, or, you know, roped climbing, like sport climbing, or even longer, like trad, big wall, you know, which is actually more of an endurance activity. Um, So I'm just going to treat it like he's a sport climber. So, you know, you're talking climbs that are... uh, not uh, hours long, but not 30 seconds to a minute long, if that makes any sense. Uh, Kind of that middle zone. And with climbing, obviously, um, where the differences um, or the the challenges are compared to um, uh, training for a marathon are going to come into recovery ability. Um, because obviously climbing while it uses the whole body is most challenging on the grip and upper body. Um, you know, very rarely do people fall off a rock climb or, or find themselves unable to do a, a climbing route because their legs were too weak or too tired. You know, there's the occasional thing that'll happen, um, especially with some like weird off width climbing or some weird stemming problem, you know, where you got to do the splits in a corner or something like that. Um, But generally, it's grip and upper body strength and muscular endurance 
um, is the limiter when it comes to climbing. Um, whereas with marathon running, it's uh, going to be aerobic fitness um, and localized muscular endurance, predominantly in the lower body and core. Um, so uh, the thing that I would say is that if you uh, give yourself long enough to prepare. Um, and by that, I would say ideally six to eight months. Um, you can see a sizable improvement in both things. Um, you know, uh, what I would probably do is divide your day, uh, and, and I'm going to break this down into, um, a perfect world, realizing that, life is never perfect and sometimes we uh, have to, you know, just adapt on the fly. But um, I would recommend um, climbing three times a week um, with the idea that sometimes you're not always going to be able to, but getting at least two in. Um, running three times a week um, with the idea of one session being a longer run. Um you know, just gradually increasing that volume um, on one session a week. Uh, and then getting three um, strength training sessions in. Um, and if you're each week able, able to only get two of each, so it's, you know, six sessions total, um, then you're still going to make progress. It's just sort of not ideal. Um, and the thing you're really going to have to pay attention to is your recovery. Like you are going to have to be a monk about, but going to bed early, getting your nutrition in, um, relieving stress in the rest of your life. Um, uh, you know, obviously if you were working a full-time job and you've got kids, um, and family and all the different things, this is going to be more of a challenge than if you were 20 and have all, you know, basically all your non-working time is your own um, because that's the reality of these things where uh, if you're going to do an event, like a, a respectable marathon time, um, uh, is going to be, uh, you know, in that four hour range. Um, well, to be able to just do anything for four hours, like, you know, run 26 miles in four hours, um, you know, you're, uh, running into the thing of needing to be going, um, you know, about six and a half miles an hour, um, which isn't a super fast running pace. Um, but, you know, to do that for four hours straight, um, you know, is going to uh, be challenging. And there's nothing saying, like, you know, the basically he didn't give us any information. This is always one of the um, things that you run into where, uh, the more specific information we have, the more specific our answer can be. Um, but I would always um, err on the side of starting low 
and this goes because we don't know how much climbing you've been doing. don't know how much running you've been doing already. Um, and gradually building, right? Because what we need to do is build a work capacity so that your body can recover um, from more, like tolerate more work. Um, and that's a slow process. Um, so, and uh, a big part of that process is how old you are. Um, you know, you take a 20-year-old and put them into boot camp um, in the military, and you can kick the shit out of them, and they just adapt. Um, whereas you take a 50-year-old and do the same thing, and they don't survive the first week if they're not already in great shape. Um, just because the, the tolerance, um, you know, the innate recovery ability uh, is less as you get older. Um, but just as a general guideline, um, I would run into the thing of, uh, three climbing sessions, three running sessions, two of the running sessions would be, um, you know, still everything, just keep it purely aerobic, but two of them, I would, you know, sort of start at 20 minutes and gradually build those up to an hour. Um, and then your weekend one, when you, if you've got a little more time, uh, over, you know, six months, build it up. Um, and don't be afraid of dial, you know, when you're starting to physically get tired, dial everything back for a week, let your body recover, um, and then start building again, right? The whole periodized approach. Um, you know, it's like build, recover, build, recover, um, and as you get closer to the date, um, I would de-emphasize the strength training and transition it into more maintenance. Um, uh, you know, and it's the same thing. Like, you know, like the two or three weeks before your marathon, um, I probably wouldn't climb at all, you know, or climb very little. Um, you know, so it's one of those things, the further you are out from an event, the more general your training can be. The closer you get to an event, the more specific it needs to be. Um, so, you know, that last month before, um, because the week before, I would just ease off on everything, right? Just to let your body recover. I'd run regularly, but keep it short. Um, and then you run into that thing where... Uh, uh, you know, right now, because let's say you've got a, a event in August that you sign up for. I would, do, I would look at September because I find the summertime is too bloody hot to be out for run for hours anyway. But that's just me. Um, you know, right now it's just general fitness, right? Um, you know, GPP, general physical preparedness, um, climbing, um, do some, uh, you know, weighted carries and kettlebell swings, right? The weighted carries really great for all the postural muscles. The kettlebell swings or, or Romanian deadlifts are great for the posterior chain, the hamstrings, the butt, lower back. Um, all of that stuff is awesome um, for helping your running. Um, you just don't want to do too much of it as you get closer to the event, if that makes any sense. Um, right now, we're just about making the structure uh, and 
building your work tolerance so that you can tolerate the workload as you get closer to the event. Um, there's a, a concept called maximum recovery, like uh, recoverable volume, um, MRV. So the idea is um, you want to start at less than, you know, like an amount you know you can recover from and gradually each week just, you know, five or 10% increase the overall volume you're doing. Um, and, you know, four or five weeks of that and then you're going to start to be fatigued. Ease off, right? That's where you have the deload week. You dial everything back, maybe, you know, shorten your runs, cut out a day of climbing, um, you know, cut back on the uh, volume of your of your strength work. Just let your body kind of, you know, recover. And you'll you'll f you'll feel when you're ready to build again because, you know, the first few days you're like, "Oh god, I'm so glad I I can ease off." And uh then as the fatigue goes away, you start to r realize your fitness. Um, it was hiding because you were tired. Um, and then you start feeling like almost chomping at the bit to go again. And that's when you start building again, right? And uh, as long as it's sort of steady and methodical, um, you don't kind of do these crazy volume jumps, particularly in the running um, from week to week, that you allow your body the time to adapt. Um, because the, the one thing that will slow you down more than anything is getting um, overuse injuries by doing too much too soon, right? I am uh, a huge proponent of slow and steady um, adaptation over time um, rather than, you know, do a total of like two miles this week and then 10 miles next week. It's just too big of a jump, right? Think of it as just gradually, you know, um, building your body over time, building your work tolerance over time. Um, and uh, if you sort of follow those general principles, um, uh, you know, you should see some pretty good, uh, pretty good progress. And, uh, you know, if it's your first marathon, your big thing with it is just finish it. Right, whether it takes you three hours or it takes you five hours, um, you know most people never do a marathon in their life, right? And the great part is, is whatever number um, you set, you know whatever your time is, then it just gives you something. If you if you continue to do them, gives you something to improve upon next time. Um, but you know if your goal is to be kind of an all around athlete, um, you know have the fun climbing and and you know, the, the fun challenge there and still have a really good endurance base. Um, you'll find two over time as you integrate them together um, and start to understand yourself. Um, you'll find that the aerobic fitness that you get from running will actually uh, carry over and um, you'll find your climbing training improves because the better your aerobic fitness is, the better you can recover um, from uh, hard efforts when you're climbing.
Um, you know, obviously you don't need marathon runner aerobic fitness, but um, most people who do short, hard things will benefit from having a little bit better aerobic fitness um, when it comes to recovery from uh, hard efforts. Um, so, yeah. Uh, hopefully that was helpful to you. Um, you know, if you've got any more specifics that you want to know about, uh, you know, send me a follow-up and uh, I can dig into the weeds a little bit more with that one. Um, so, yeah, basically, hopefully you guys enjoyed uh, or got something out of this first one uh, with these questions. Um, and, you know, if you did, uh, you know, give us a rating on whatever podcast platform you listen on. Um, we're trying to be better at this uh Asking for, you know, the the engagement and support and all that kind of thing that um, uh, we, we've taken a few social media courses and we're, we're learning what we're supposed to do as content creators. <laughs> Although that sounds so silly, doesn't it? I'm a content creator. Um, but technically I am because, you know, and Catherine and I are because we're creating content. I write stuff and people read it and we say stuff and people listen to it, which is, you know, when you think about it, um, it's just weird as shit uh, that we sit in most of the case, you know, especially during COVID because we can't travel and interview people. Um, we sit in our living room and talk to each other and hope uh, that people in the world find the things we talk about interesting enough that they'll listen to it. Um, and thankfully, uh, over the last three years, uh, enough of you have that it keeps us doing it. Um, so yeah, keep sending in your fitness questions. Um, in this episode, I got three answered cause I am, uh, fairly long winded. And if the people had been more specific, um, in their questions, it probably would have been even more long winded, but I want to be specific because, um, if somebody asked me a question, um, particularly about training and fitness stuff, um, without the specifics, the answer almost always is, well, that depends, <laughs> you know, does this work? Well, that depends. Um, you know, what's the best way to do that? Well, this depends. Um, because there's always more specifics that, come into it, right? Like, what was your history? Where, you know, what have you done before? Like, obviously, say somebody who was like a competitive um, cross-country runner who's got great running mechanics, they still run, they just have never done a marathon. Well, getting that person ready um, for a marathon is much easier, you know, or, or it's a much simpler process, you know, because they already know how to run. They're already running, right? All we're doing is taking a thing they're doing and making it bigger. It's like somebody riding a bike. If you already ride a bike all the time and then you want to do a century, which is a 100-mile ride, like maybe one of these charity rides or Grand Fondo, you've never done 100 miles, but you know you go out for 60K rides all the time or you do some group rides, that kind of thing. Well, getting you ready for 100 miles, if you already ride all the time, um, is actually quite easy. Um, if it's a case where you're like, uh, Hey, I, I, other than, you know, just sort of tootling around with my kids, I don't really ride very much, but I want to do a hundred mile ride because, you know, a century is kind of the bicycle equivalent of a, of a marathon. Um, well then we have a whole, Oh, okay. Well, do you have bike shorts? Do you, <laughs> what kind of bike are you riding? 
Um, does your bike fit you properly? You know, like we, we have this whole other amount of things to go through um, to, to get that person dialed in. So, yeah, um, I do ask. Please send in more questions because I'm actually enjoying this. It was kind of fun. Um, so until next time, I'm Winston. Uh, Catherine says hello from her mom's place. Uh, and uh, until next time, remember to work hard, play dirty, and um, keep training because eventually this COVID bullshit will be over and we will all be able to go do stuff together again. So enjoy.